well. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we glorify you today, and we thank you, Lord, for your presence. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your desire, Lord, is to fill your people, to minister to your people, to strengthen your people, to save your people. And Lord, we ask that you would begin to do a work in us today. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, and we pray this day, Lord, that you would minister to each and every person here today. Lord, we come to this place, Lord, to glorify you, tell you that we need you, and to tell you that we love you. Lord, I ask for your anointing to be upon your word today. Lord, I pray, God, that you would touch every heart, every life. I pray, Lord, for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And Lord, we all ask for that anointing to hear and to receive all that the Spirit of God is speaking to us today. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, well, hallelujah. This morning, we're going to be starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One of the things I really want you to see and understand about the word this morning is God has called you to be an ambassador. God has called you to be an ambassador, not of your church, but of his kingdom. And we see here in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 20, God really is kind of getting down into the nitty-gritty. This is one of the best chapters of the Bible, by the way. It goes through, the, through, through so many different avenues. Uh, but one of the things that you see here says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. This passage, we see the beginning of it. We're going to move down into this next verse. But you've been called to be an ambassador for God. And an ambassador to God tells other people, it's time for you to get reconciled to God. An ambassador for God tells other people, it's time for you to be reconciled to God. That's your greatest mission in the world, is to tell the world that it's time for them to stop fighting God. It's time for them to lay down their offenses, to lay down their hurts and their hang-ups, and to be reconciled to God. See, there was a man named Jesus that died for their soul, died for their sin on the cross. He bore their sin, their transgression, and he bore that on the cross so that they could be reconciled. But there's a lot of people that to this day are not reconciled to God. And so we've been given that job to be an ambassador for this purpose. Amen. How many of you know you've been called to be an ambassador? An ambassador is someone that represents a kingdom that they're not living in. You see, if you're an ambassador for America, you don't live in America. If you're an ambassador for America, you live in a foreign nation. And you've been called to be an ambassador for God. You've been called to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God, for heaven. And so God has you here for a purpose, and that is to make sure other people know that they need to be reconciled to God. Amen? And this next verse shows us how that reconciliation takes place. But the, the fact that you've been called to be an ambassador is a, is, is a heavy duty. And one thing I want you to know about an ambassador is when, another, when a nation sends an ambassador out to, to function, in its role, in its capacity, that nation will also supply the need. How many of you think that if America sends an ambassador to, to Argentina, that America is going to pay for the apartment? America is going to pay for the food. How many of you think that if, if America sends an ambassador to a foreign nation, that they're also going to supply everything that that ambassador needs? Do you hear me? All they need is a willing person. They see, with us as ambassadors for God, God knows our need in this foreign land. 
God knows our need in this foreign land, and He's able to supply our every need. He's able to supply peace. He's able to supply joy. He's able to supply strength. He's able to supply the power of His Spirit for us to accomplish all that God has called us to accomplish. That may not make you happy, but that makes me happy. Because I know I've been called to be an ambassador, but God's not sent me out on my own. But God has given me the Holy Spirit to empower me to do exactly what He's called me to do in this generation. And I want to tell you something. This generation needs to wake up. There is a famine in America for the preaching of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I want to tell you, sugar will not cut it. If you're starving to death, you cannot survive off of sugar. What you need is the pure, unadulterated Word of God ministered to your soul by the Spirit of God. We need a move of the Holy Spirit like never before in our nation. We are starving people to death. But you can coat a lot of things with sugar. You can make a cake look really pretty. They got food coloring. You can color it. You can make it look. I've seen them make cakes that look like, you know, a steak. It'll look like a steak. And you cut it, and it's just, it's a cake. But it, it tricks people. You know, there's a lot of people today that are living off a of sugar high. You know what happens when you live off a of sugar high? You come crashing down. It's, you're, you're not meant to live off of sugar. You're not meant to live off of sugar. Sugar is an emotional high. You eat sugar, you'll start feeling good. You'll have that emotional high. And that really and truly is what the church is trying to bring to America today. And that's why our nation's in the place it is. Because we've lived off of a sugar high. But God has called us to be ambassadors, not for sugar, but for heaven. And and, and in the word of God, he tells us exactly how people can be reconciled. Our job is not to tell people that God can make your life better. Our job is to say, be reconciled to God. He loves you. He sought you. He bought you. Be reconciled. Be reconciled to God. The best thing a person can do is get reconciled to God through faith in Jesus and not go to hell. That's the best thing that can happen to someone. The best thing that can happen to you or me is to be reconciled to God and not have to go to hell. That's the best thing that could happen to America is that America would be reconciled to God and not have to go to hell. Amen. But if we're not reconciled to God, that's exactly where we're going to go. Listen to me very closely. Jesus died on the cross, and before he died on the cross, he said, Father, if there be any other way, if there's any other way, he prayed to the Father. The Son prays to the Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. What did he say? Nevertheless, not, your, not my will, but your will be done, right? Let me tell you, there's no other way for you to be saved except the cross. There's no other way a person can be reconciled to God except through the cross. A a, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Zen master, a yoga, it don't matter who they are. The only way they can be right with God is to come and humble themselves and receive by faith what Jesus did on the cross for the payment for their soul. That's our job. If there were three different ways, Jesus wouldn't have went to Calvary. If there were four different ways to go to heaven, Jesus wouldn't have went to Calvary. But he went to Calvary and he suffered the death He suffered the death and he allowed himself to be 
to be ridiculed, to be marred. He allowed himself to be humiliated in front of the whole world. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. That was you. Look at the next verse. It says, it says For he had made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, this verse, you have to make sure you have to take a step back. And sometimes people take this verse and they make it say what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Jesus became a sinner. It doesn't say that. It says that God reckoned him. He, he made him to be. In other words, he would be like an innocent person going to, to the electric chair for a guilty person. They were made, they were made, right, to take that punishment. And that's exactly what Jesus did. You see, the only way that you can be righteous is for the righteous one to take your punishment. The only way any person can ever attain any kind of righteousness is for the Holy One to condescend and to take their unrighteousness to Himself. In other words, there's an exchange that has to take place. There's an exchange that has to take place. Righteousness is what I want to key in on this morning. To be righteous is to be in right standing with God. To be righteous is to be in right standing with God. How many, how many of us in here today feel like in and of ourselves we're okay with God? We need God, don't we? Amen. I, in and of myself, I know I can't be right with God. I'll be like Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. If you know how holy God is, you know you need God in order to be in his presence. There has to be an exchange, right? My sin, my guilt, my shame for his righteousness, for his glory, for his holiness. Righteousness is an exchange. You don't have inherent righteousness. You have inherent rebellion. Amen. But Jesus is righteous from the beginning. He is God manifest in the flesh. He never sinned. He knew no sin. Amen. He was, he was the unleavened, unblemished Lamb of God offered for the sin of the world. And this man, Jesus, who is God incarnate, died a martyr's death, died a humiliating death, died the death of a criminal, died the death of a criminal. And that's the basis for your righteousness. That's the basis for your righteousness. Your righteousness stands on one fact, that Jesus bore your sin on the cross. Notice the two categories. There's the sinful and there's the righteous. Notice the two categories? It's, that's it. it. A person is either in their sin or they're righteous by faith in Jesus. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. There's no lukewarm ground right there. There's no gray area. Some of you in here have been playing with God. There's not a category for playing with God. You're either still in your sin or you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and the Holy Spirit's living inside you, empowering you to live a victorious, holy, and hot life for God. But there's no middle ground. You're either righteous or you're still in sin. Amen. There's no middle ground. If there was a middle ground, verse 21 would say it. Right relationship, listen to me, right relationship is what righteousness affords. Now, righteousness is your ticket to heaven. You're not going to go to heaven unless you've been made righteous by faith in Jesus. But, but also understand this, you're not in heaven yet. I know people make trips to heaven and, and, and sell books, right? Unlike Paul. 
who didn't want to disclose that revelation. But righteousness not only affords you heaven, but it also affords you right relationship today. You see, because you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, because you've been forgiven of your sins, it opens that door for the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. See, one of the things about us living in this world today as ambassadors is God's not going to give us an empty credit card. He's not going to send us a hot check. He's not going to make us do it in our own strength and then send an expense report to heaven. No, you wait on God. And when God's ready to send you out, he will empower you with the Holy Ghost and he will send you into an unholy world so that you can be a living vessel for his glory. You've got to wait and tarry for the Holy Ghost, amen, so that you can be the ambassador that God has called you to be. There are people in America that don't know God, that are not reconciled to God. You can't talk. Look, one of the things is you cannot accept someone's lip service. They may say that they know God, but you've got to put that to the test. You've got to ask them questions. You've got to look and discern by the Holy Spirit and make sure that they truly have been reconciled, that they truly are walking in godliness, that they truly have the Holy Spirit living on the inside. Many people say that they know God. Amen. They profess to know God with their, with their mouth, Jesus said, but they're far away from him in their heart. Many people know the right words. You live in America long enough. There's a church on every corner. You can learn the right words, but not have God in your heart, not be truly born again. How, how sad will it be on the day of judgment if you've known the right words with your mouth, but your heart was never converted by the Spirit? How hard will it be for someone in hell to say all the right words, but not know the right God? Didn't Jesus, you say, Pastor, man. Didn't Jesus tell us that in Matthew 7? He said, many are going to come in that day and say, Lord, Lord. They're going to tell all of their good works. Didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we do these many wonderful works? I mean, we gave, we sold, we worked, we toiled. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. What's the key? It's not saying the right words, doing the right thing. It is being born again by the Spirit of God. We have to labor and belabor this point in America. America is at a crossroads. People are in this town are at a crossroads. People in Bossier City and Shreveport are at a crossroads because we live in the Bible Belt. We live in a town where everybody knows the right words, but if you look at their life, they're not growing in godliness. They're coasting. They're barely getting by. They're living off the world. They're living for the pleasures of the world. They're doing what they want, when they want, how they want. We just sing the song, I Surrender All. All to God I surrender. And that's really and truly what it's about. But like I said, notice that there's this, this delineation between two camps. There's the righteous and there's the sinful. Righteousness, as I was talking about, is about relationship. What is it about relationship, guys? It is the relationship that God has for you is a privilege for your pilgrimage. Listen to that. It's a privilege for your pilgrimage. You or on a pilgrimage, if you're a child of God. If you're not a child of God, you're just on the broad road to destruction. But if you've been born again, you're a pilgrim in a foreign land. And His Holy Spirit is a privilege for your pilgrimage. 
I think it's so awesome to see, you know what? God does not call you to be a pilgrim in and of your own strength. He's not called you to be a pilgrim in a foreign land and not have his holy presence with you. The greatest thing that we can see today is that there's this delineation between righteousness and sinfulness. Our world today will try to blur that line. Our world today will not come to the cross and 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 receive Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They will not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone and be born again, but they'll do works. They'll do works. They try to blur the line. They do righteous works, but listen, you cannot be righteous without being born again by faith in Jesus Christ. It's so important that we get this. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Right after Hebrews and James. 1 Peter chapter number 3. How important is it for someone to be righteous? Well, if you're not righteous, God won't even hear your prayers. How's that? You pray all you want, but it's like talking to the wall. Now the devil, the, 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 the trick is the devil tries to make you think that. The devil tries to make you think if you've been if you've been washing the blood and you've been born again and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the devil tries to make you think that your prayers aren't effective. Amen. Because he knows prayer, right, is where the battles won or lost. Prayer is where the battles won or lost. Look at this verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Somebody wave your hand if you're righteous. You've been, you've been born again. You've been washing the blood. Wave your hand if you're righteous. It says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open unto their prayers. Wow. Wait. You really don't need commentary on that, do you? You're righteous by the blood of Jesus. We just read it. You're righteous by the blood of Jesus. We just read it. And what does it say? God sees you. And God hears you. Why? Because the blood. Thank you for the blood. The blood speaks for me. Hallelujah. I've been washed by the blood. I've been cleansed by the blood. Amen. The righteous. It says that the eyes of the Lord are over us and his ears are open unto our prayers. Look at this. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Notice again the delineation. You're either righteous by the blood, born again, filled with the Spirit, or you're not. You're wicked, sinful, lost, on the road to destruction. There's no middle ground there. But I love this part. It says, for the righteous, God's eyes are upon us. Don't we understand that from the Sermon on the Mount? Don't we understand how God, it says that not one sparrow is going to fall without God knowing about it. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows and understands our plight. He understands what we're going through. You may think that you're on your own right now, but the Bible says to you in this verse that if the blood has been applied to your soul, God's eye is on you. He loves you. Amen. He loves you. And when you say yes to God and the blood has been applied to your soul, His eye goes like a hawk right over you. How many of you truly believe there's one piece of paper in existence in the universe that God doesn't know what it says? 
Tell me if there's one grasshopper that's struggling to find some food right now that God doesn't know about it. And there's not one child of God that's been washed by the blood of his own son that he does not watch over. Hallelujah. His eye is upon us just like his eye is upon that sparrow. That sparrow didn't have the blood applied to it. That sparrow didn't have Jesus die for it. But you did. And his eye is over you. He knows and understands what you're going through. Amen. He knows and understands what you're going through. He knows his sheep. Any good shepherd knows all of their sheep. Amen. What, what dog owner has three dogs and comes home and only feeds two because he forgot about the third one? No dog owner that has three dogs comes home and only feeds two because he forgot about the third one. Nobody does that. And you're a sheep of God. And he knows your every need. And he knows how to supply those needs. He understands how to supply those needs. In fact, Jesus touched on this when he said, Come unto me. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, he knows his sheep and he knows what you need. And he says when that load is getting heavy and that burden is is too much for you, he says, come to me. There's a continual call for you to come to Jesus and be restored. You need that restoration that comes from the presence of God. Amen. Not only is God's eye upon you, but his ear is towards you. You know, there's times that I might be studying, I might be reading, I might be doing something, and and one of my children comes and talks to me, and how many of you know I give them like half an ear? I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to do that, and they're trying to talk to me about, you know, what we're going to eat tonight or something. And I might give them half an ear, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, what did you just ask me? How many of you can relate to that? God's not like that. God's not like that. It says he hears the prayer of the righteous. He doesn't give you half an ear. He doesn't give you half his attention span. How many of you know God doesn't have to like juggle balls in order to keep our attention, right? God is so good. And he hears your prayers not because of you, but because you've been washed in the blood. It's the blood that speaks for you. It's that exchange that took place. We read about that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what speaks to God. We're in right fellowship. We're in right relation with God when we've been washed by the blood. And what does that do? That opens us up to receive the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you right now, the most, one of the most important things we need in America is we need a work of Pentecost in the church again. We, we have to get back to Pentecost right now because if you look in the church today, people need coffee, they need this, they need that. We got to have, you know, all of these kind of extremities. But why? Because we don't have the unction of God. We can't even give God five minutes of our attention span without zoning out and thinking about something else. We need God. We need a work of the Holy Spirit. 
Our church needs a work of the Holy Spirit. I need a work of the Holy Spirit. You need a work of the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know what? I have to tarry before the altar and seek God's face. I have to. I have to. I cannot function without the Holy Spirit. I, look, I can't be an ambassador without the Holy Spirit empowering me, and neither can you. Now, right relationship is important, and God doesn't, um, because you're in right relationship, God doesn't give you half an ear, and I'm so thankful for that. Amen. Not only that, but he also, on the opposite side of the spectrum, he also helps us. Let me show you this in first, uh, no, Hebrews. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, let me show you this. How many of you have a helper? Amen. I had a helper today. I had, uh, had a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old helping us back there in the media today. Hallelujah. Helpers. But, you know, I need a helper greater than that. Amen. Because there's issues that I go through that only God can get me through. How many of you got issues like that? If, if you don't know that you have issues like that, you're blinder than you think. Because you live in an evil world. You live in an evil generation. You live amongst people that lie. You live amongst demonic forces. You live around devils. You live in an ungodly environment. And if you think that you can navigate through this wicked world in this wicked generation without being filled with the Holy Ghost, you've been lied to. You've been lied to. Well, hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness. How many of you know the conversation means the way that you live? The way that you live. How many of you are ready for, for, for God to understand and know exactly what you're going through? He said on that last part, his eyes over you. He knows what you're going through. Look what the word's saying. It says, let your conversation, the way that you live, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Why? God will never leave the one whom the blood's been applied to, the one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, the one that's been born again. He said, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. You know, you know people today are losing their minds. They are losing their, their last bit of mind that they have. They have no sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And you need to listen to this. People are losing their mind right now because, whoa, the stock market's breaking down. Whoa, did you see the price of eggs? Oh, coronavirus is coming back. Oh, the Antichrist is on the rise. Oh, Russia's going to nuclear bomb us. Did you know Bozier City's on the map, the top 10 targets for nuclear bombs? Oh, the dollar bill's going out. We're going to have to take the mark of the beast to go to the super. You know what? God gave you, he did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 
God will not leave you and he will not forsake you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, somebody say it with me, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I've got God with me. I'm not going to fear what happens in the world. God wins. The church will rise after it dies. The trumpet's going to sound. It's going to blast. And all those that are dead in Christ are going to rise up and meet Jesus. And those that are alive and remain after the Russian nuclear bomb and all this, that, and the other, they're going to go to glory. Amen. So what? So what? I've got a better home waiting on me. If, if you're, if, look, you're on the downhill side. Ever, ever since you were born, the, the clock's ticking, you're getting closer to death. Even a baby. Amen. Every day you live, you're getting closer to the day that you die. Amen. You start growing old. You, some of us, we on that downhill slide. We're getting closer and closer and closer. This home, this world that we live is not our home. This is not home. Our home is in heaven. The home that we have in heaven is eternal. This home is perishing. This is a temporal world that we live in right now. We are pilgrims in this land. And what I'm telling you today is God's called you to live in this pilgrim land, but you've got, you've got to get a hold of his Holy Spirit in this land. To be who God's called you to be, you've got to get a hold of his Spirit. You've got to get a hold of God. How many of you remember praying like that? And praying until you got a hold of God. When was the last time you prayed until you got a hold of God? Amen. Amen. I'm tired of prayer meetings about 40 years ago. Amen. I'm so thankful that we can tarry before God and we can just pray and cry out to God and we can get a hold of God. Amen. Amen. And you know what's great about when you get a hold of God? Jacob learned this out. You get a hold of God, God gets a hold of you. You're not going to be the same after God gets a hold of you. Amen. Jacob wrestled with God and Jacob got a hold of God, but God got a hold of him and and Jacob limped the rest of his life. Amen. There wasn't no prosperity gospel in that, no name it, claim it in that. He got too close to God and he limped the rest of his days. You get a hold of God, God will leave a mark on you. Be like, that's mine right there. That's mine right there. Paul had Paul had that that issue, right? He had that thorn in the side, but God used it to perfect him. God used it to keep him dependent on him. Amen. Well, let's continue this out. It says, he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Verse six, so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know that people today are so fearful of Russia. They're so fearful of China. They're so fearful of Bill Gates. They're so fearful of Pfizer. They're so fearful of mammon. They're so fearful of the wicked. Yeah, I mean, I thank God that, that all these people that we're so afraid of, I'm so thankful that the Russians and the Chinese and the, the, the people that work at Pfizer and the people that, that I, I'm so thankful that they're not like 13, 14, 15 feet tall like Goliath. Because the church in America would be just shriveled up, panicked. You know what? You've got to realize that your God's bigger than your enemy. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know that God's bigger than tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day, but I know that God's bigger. The whole point of prophecy is to point people to Jesus. 
to make sure that they get right with God, get a hold of God, get filled with the Spirit of God, and make sure your eyes stay on God. And you see, people today are so given over to fear that they don't have a sound mind anymore. But the word clearly here says that the Lord is my helper. You keep telling me who my enemy is. You keep magnifying the enemy. You keep magnifying the problems. And I'm going to keep telling you the Lord is my helper. Tell me more. The Lord is my helper. You tell me that I can't do this and I can't do that. The stock market's this. Food prices that. The enemy this. The enemy that. And I'm going to tell you the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. The word helper there means to run to, to secure. It literally means this. It literally means to run to. That means God is my helper. That means when I'm in need of help, God literally runs to me. I don't mess up a Presbyterian, right? Well, that, that is... Uh, uh, uh. It literally means God runs to me. I am a blood-bought, born-again child of God. I've been made righteous by the blood of my master, by the blood of my maker. Amen. I am not just some orphan. You're not just some orphan. You are a child of God, adopted into the family of God, born by the Spirit of God, cleansed by the blood of God. You are not just some random happenstance orphan on the outside. You've been brought into the very near presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You are not, listen to me, you are not on the outside looking in. You are on the inside, protected by God, filled with the Spirit. He is your helper. He is your helper. Now, I want to show you one of the greatest ways that God helps us. And this is why I tell you, one of the reasons why I tell you Pentecost is going to be what moves the church in the last days. The frozen chosen aren't going to move the church in the last days. Pentecost was poured out before the persecution came to the first church and before persecution comes on the church in our generation, we're going to see a fresh Pentecost. We're going to see a latter rain poured out upon the church. There was a former rain. There was an early rain. But there's going to be a latter rain poured out on the church in the last days because we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own strength. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. How many of you just say, Lord is my helper? Raise your hand and say that. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. Amen. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And let's look at this help. The Lord is my helper. Amen. Some of you feel like you don't have any help at all. God's opening your ears today. God's opening your heart today. Amen. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse number 26, Romans chapter 8, verse number 26. It says, likewise, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us 
with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How does God help the church? I say, Lord, help me. Do I get a check in the mail? Not necessarily. I say, Lord, help me. Guess what happens? The spirit begins to groan on the inside. What are we talking about? The spirit of God begins to pray through us. It says that he that knows that mind of the spirit begins to pray and make that intercession for us. I don't know how I need to pray. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what she's going through. I don't know what America's about to go through. But when I begin to groan in the spirit and I begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit begins to pray through me. And he begins to pray and make intercession for me. And I don't even know sometimes what those battles are, but God does. And it says right there, he helps us. Notice it says, in verse 26 likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities because we don't know how to pray so the holy spirit comes and prays you know one of the reasons why we need to pray in the holy ghost is because that's how he helps us it says it right there plain as day how does he help us by praying through us When we pray in the Holy Spirit, we're praying not to men, but we're praying to God. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that when you pray in an unknown tongue, that man edifies himself. Paul said, you know what, I want the whole church to be edified, but when you pray in an unknown tongue, when you pray to God, it's that man that edifies himself. There's times that we go through battles and we don't know what we need and we don't know how we need it, but God does. And when you begin to let the Holy Spirit groan on the inside, when you begin to let the Holy Spirit yearn on the inside, God's at work helping you. You know, there's, there's pressure. How many of you are under pressure today? You got pressure in the world? Job, bills, family, emotion, right? Pressure. How does God help you? Praying. This is how the Holy Spirit helps you. Is, is the Spirit of God God? Do we need to go back and look at that? You understand? The the Spirit of the Lord is God, right? We believe this. This is how God helps. He helps us to pray right. He helps us to pray with groanings that cannot be uttered. In other words, they're unintelligible words to man. But God knows exactly what they are. Heard someone say one time that God speaks the language of tears. How many of you believe that? God speaks the language of tears. This is the same principle. This is the same principle. Sometimes I go through an issue and I don't know how to articulate it. I don't have the words for it. But all of a sudden I just find myself just just tears flowing through and, 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 you know, just manifesting all over the place. I got tears everywhere. What am I saying? I don't know. But the Spirit's moving. God knows. God knows. And you see, it's the same way when you pray, when you give yourself over to pray, and you don't know what to pray, and you just begin to pray with groanings and utterances. God knows exactly what the burden of the soul is. God knows exactly what to pray for my situation. How many of you know? Like, I'm not, right? I'm not the smartest person in the world. Neither are you. I don't, sometimes... 
my children, sometimes they think they know what's best. How many of you have children like that? We have children that think they know what they need, right? I'm just going to eat Cheetos all day, right? No. But they think they know what's best, but I know what's better for them. It's the same way with your heavenly father. Oh, I know. I know you're all high and mighty. You've been walking with the Lord for 15 years. You're, you're this, you're all that. You still need God. You still need your heavenly father. His ways are still higher than your ways. I've been walking with God for 30 years. Yeah, and his ways are still higher than yours. His ways are still higher than yours. You still need God like you did the first day. You still need God like you did the first day. And how does God help us in this verse? It says he helps us through praying with words that cannot be uttered. Praying in the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you one of the most, one of the most encouraging things about how God helps us in our generation is simply through praying in the Holy Ghost. If you get in a situation, you look at Paul and you remember Silas, they got imprisoned. They were imprisoned in a midnight hour in a town where the Philippian jailer was. They were imprisoned in the midnight hour and they began to worship God at midnight. You know, at midnight, it's when you can't see. No street lights. Amen. Midnight is the time that it's the, it's the darkest. And in the time that it was the darkest, Paul and Silas begin to worship. They begin to worship God when they couldn't even see. You see, people in America today, we would be like, <clears throat> I've been serving God for three years. I've been serving God for 30 years. And look, now I'm in a prison. Guess I missed it. See, if you, if you leave your own thoughts to yourself, you'll start thinking crazy things like that. Guess I missed it. You missed it when you started thinking for yourself. You see, Paul and Silas were exactly where God wanted them to be, and, and God allowed them to go into that prison. And I want to tell you, I don't know what's going to happen in our world, our generation, but God's got you here for a purpose, and that's to be an ambassador so that people can know how to be reconciled to God. If, if America falls and we become Russia or China or whatever, those people need Jesus. And we better fully intend on getting the power of God so that we can lead them to Christ. Well, that don't sound fun, Pastor. Well, you've been called to be an ambassador. You were bought. You were purchased. You have a higher calling. This life is short. This life will perish. This life is but a vapor, Solomon says. Eternity is forever. You've got a higher calling on earth. And that higher calling calls you to be an ambassador for Christ Jesus today. And to tell people how to be reconciled to him. And in order for you to get the help that you need, the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has come. I want to know, has the Holy Spirit come in your life? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Ghost? The power of Pentecost is available today. And if you're trying to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit helping you be a Christian, you've lost it. You were going, you, you, were, you were trying to hammer without nails. You can't. 
God would have never sent the Holy Ghost if he intended on you being able to be a Christian without the Holy Ghost. How does God help us in our hours of need? He prays through us. The Holy Spirit prays through us. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in this generation. We need the power of God on our lives. The world today is, is, is growing into chaos. The world today is getting more chaotic every day. And I believe God is calling upon you to know and understand the simple fact that the Lord is your helper. The Lord is your helper. If you want the Lord's help, look at that verse. We just read, the Lord is my helper. He's the one that runs to me. He's the one that runs to me when I'm in need, when I'm overwhelmed with stress, when I'm overwhelmed with worry, when fear begins to creep up upon my soul. And here's something more applicable to a lot of people today. When you no longer have the joy of the Lord, when you no longer have the peace of God in your life, when you no longer have the fire of God burning inside your soul, it says that He's your helper. He runs to you. I want you to know He will run to you. If you'll begin to open yourself up to God and receive the Holy Spirit, He will literally run to you because He loves you. He loves you this day. Today, I want you to know that God's help is available for you. Uncertain days, uncertain days call for you to seek help from above. Uncertain days call for you to seek help from above. And when you do, He will come running to you. He's your helper. He's your helper. He's your helper today. Lord, we bless you this day. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to seek your face. Lord, we thank you for the promise of Pentecost. Thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the promise of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we're not going to be ashamed of you. Not in this generation. Our generation, Lord, needs you. Our generation needs you. God, we need you. Lord, we need you. We're telling you this day, God, there's things going on in our life that we can't understand. Some of us here today have issues in our emotions, in our minds. We can't even understand these issues. But Lord, we recognize you're the helper. And Lord, I pray right now, if you need help in this church, would you lift up your hand? I'll pray with you. Just lift up your hand. Slip it up. Hallelujah. If you need help today, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. 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 Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. Just slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else just say, Lord, I need your help. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are our helper. You know our problems. You know our lack. Lord, you even know our doubt. But Lord, we recognize you're our helper. Lord, I pray this day, every hand lifted, Lord, has been lifted in recognition that our help comes from above. Our help comes from above. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to do a work inside of us this day. Restore to us the love for you that we once had. Restore to us the peace that we once knew. Restore to us, Lord, our health. Restore to us, Lord, that sound mind that we not be given over to a spirit of fear in these last days. But, Lord, that we would be courageous.
that we would be full of zeal for you. But, oh God, that we would be about your business, about your kingdom, and not our own. Lord, stir, fan the flame inside of us, and be our helper this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we open up these altars, and I ask, Lord, that you would meet each person that comes to these altars. If you want to come to this altar and meet with God, I'm asking him to meet you right here. We, if you need